to start. Okay. Are you there? I was born ready. That's my teeth. That's good. That's gonna really be yeah. really good on YouTube. All of that's gonna go. Yeah, all of it's gonna go real well. There's there's spinach in the jambalaya. The like spinach, like cooked spinach, is the number one culprit to get stuck in your teeth. Welcome to the Financial Independence Garage, where we share the tools to improve your finances and unfold the roadmap to financial independence. Good evening. It is the Money Mechanic. Who is on the line with me today? It is. You've got the accountant here. And the economist. How's it going? Awesome. 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 Guys, my hop plants are going nuts. They're already about 12 feet high. I'm excited. We may have hops for our very expensive home brewing setup that the accountant and I are running. Nice. Yeah. So that's kind of my biggest excitement because I go out there every morning and give them a little bit of rainwater and admire the only plant that I'm trying to grow on purpose in our jungle of a yard. (laughs) (laughs) The only one you're trying to grow on purpose. I like that. Exactly. Yeah. All this hops talk is making me thirsty. Yeah. Let's uh, crack into our beer, which has been very, very generously purchased and sent to us today by Joel. And did you see this, boys? Look at it. Yeah. Red Collar Brewing Company. Double. Yeah. It's a double, which yep. you guys, can you explain to me what a double is, accountant? Uh, it's more than a single. <laughs> it's, a, it's a strong beer. For the, for oh, the you guy. didn't like my explanation? <laughs> You're supposed to be doing some beer studying since we're like pseudo brewers now, but you haven't got to this chapter. No, I'm, I'm reading about the book on IPAs. I'm not reading the book on doubles. I haven't gotten there yet. Okay, so a double, well, I better take a stab at it here and I better not be wrong, but it's basically, it's a, it's a Belgian beer that is fairly high in alcohol content. This one's Ooh. a six percenter. And yeah, did you get a blurb for us there, Economist? No, there was nothing on the Red Collar Brewing website. That's very smooth, though. It's a dark Belgian ale and you, you get go. a 20 ouncer for 650 at their beer joint. Well, cheers, gentlemen, and cheers, Joel. Thank you very much Thanks, for Joel. supplying cheers. us for the uh, gar- garage beverages this evening. I'm also assuming that Joel was the one responsible for the electrical tape around the cap to make sure that it did not uh, lose any beer in shipping. So smart move, nice. Joel. Thanks, Joel. <laughs> you know what's funny is I was just peeling that back. I'm like, huh, these bottles have wax on the top, but it's not wax, it's electrical tape. No, it's, no. it's making sure they survived shipping. So <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. a smart move. We need to start doing that. Joel was going to uh, introduce beer cost averaging. Do you guys remember that? Yes. But then he changed his mind and just sent us the beer. He was going to buy us one beer a month for three months. <laughs> right. <laughs> what, with a cryptocurrency or the fluctuating rates? No, no. Just through the website. Hmm. Yeah, that is pretty snooze. A lot of nuttiness. Do you guys get a lot of nutty flavors to yeah. that one? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, that's tasty. I like it. I yeah. like it a lot. It's uh these are the ones that kind of feel like a meal to me. Lots of complex, rich, nutty flavors, yeah. pretty high alcohol. It's uh it's a nice filling beer. So anyway, and moving a right nice along. Color too. Yeah. Yeah, my room's a little dark today, but it's kind of like got a reddish, almost does, like mahogany yeah. in it, looking through it. Yeah. yeah. It's uh it's a rich mahogany. Mm. Naturally, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. What the heck are we here to talk about tonight? Okay. I don't know. <laughs> this is the thing is like you guys got here and said like what are we talking about tonight? Yeah, well, we, I, we, nobody had any idea, did they? I, I did my last minute research uh, as usual. 
and topic creation. <laughs> <laughs> it's the text topic you guys get at like 3 p.m. on recording day. Is like, you know, because we've been had like the text for three days. What are we going to talk about this week? What are we going to talk yeah. about this week? And then finally, it's like, okay, somebody's got to decide. So I. But decided. it didn't happen this time. No, I decided. Yeah. So this is going to be one of those episodes for the listeners. But it actually, I think it's going to be pretty interesting because we are recording this in the second week of May. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So this is we I need to date this a little bit because we saw a very minor pullback in the market this week. Are you kidding me? According to Twitter, the world's on fire and everybody's (laughs) dying. (laughs) No kidding. There is some things going on globally and all the rest of it. And I don't want to talk about the events as much as I I wasn't talking about that. I meant that a 2% drop made people run for the hills. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Didn't it bounce back most of the way today? Good chunk. I haven't even looked. Yeah, right. I I didn't hear. I didn't look the first three days of the week, and I heard the world is falling. The world is falling, <laughs> or the sky is falling. Chicken little. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the discussion tonight is going to revolve around. We always talk about the things that we should be doing on our journey to FI, but maybe let's talk a little bit about what you shouldn't be doing, or maybe what you should be doing less of. Right. And this is, we're definitely not experts when it comes to behavioral economics or the psychology of investing. But with the experience that we've had and kind of synthesizing it all, and you can kind of, I've, I know I've on the journey, I've gotten more confident and better at dealing with losses, but loss aversion is a real thing. Right. And there's been a ton of studies done on it. Like Kahneman back in 11 was that we feel the pain of loss two and a half times more than we feel the joy of winning or the thrill of, of winning. Right. Right. And there's some cool studies on that. Have you guys heard of those ones before where they're like, okay, economist, I'll give you a thousand dollars and then you get a choice. I'll give you another 500. No, sorry. I'll give you another thousand for a coin flip. Mm -hmm. But if you don't give the if you don't get the coin flip, you get the five hundred. No, I got that wrong, didn't I? Have- you have completely kiboshed that. Basically, what happens is they say, "Okay, here's a sure shot at a thousand mm-hmm. or at five hundred, or do you want to flip a coin for a thousand? Yes, thank or you. Or nothing. No, there's only two choices. Oh, you either. And the answer is different. If instead you have a thousand dollars to begin with, and two thousand to begin with. And you can flip for a loss of a thousand or accept a loss of five hundred. Exactly. The answers are different depending on which way they gotcha. frame the question. Right. So this is what what it's framing is the we are more likely to take a guaranteed gain. Yeah. Rather than accept a guaranteed loss. We'd rather take our odds of not losing because it hurts more to lose. So anyway, yeah. we're I don't want to get too deep into that because there's lots of reading you can do on that. But this is what I'm I'm feeling is what we saw with or what I saw with some comments. And, and we see it every time there's some market movements. And you don't hear anybody going, hey, the last three months, the market's gone up 4%. That's awesome because you're winning and it doesn't feel that good. It's just slowly happening over time. And this is another psychological thing, right? It's like, boom, we don't notice that slow growth. But we notice a sudden change. Yeah, you might still hear about it, but it's all brag- bragging, right? Yep. Whereas yeah, I, on the when there's a loss, it's oh no, what do we do to, to mm-hmm. fix things? 
Well, right? mo- mostly because the media loves that more yeah. than anything, right? Yeah. So there's there's the first number one thing you shouldn't do: turn off BNN. Turn off BNN. Exactly. Yes, I turn agree. it off. Don't watch it. Get rid of it. Yeah. Don't buy cable. That. Well, yeah. <laughs> there you go. That'd solve that problem. Well, okay. Don't buy cable, but you can watch all the BNN on you know YouTube or online. So it's like don't, don't spend buy any- internet. Don't buy. <laughs> <laughs> And how are you listening to us? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm kidding, of course. Yeah, no. So that's kind of what I'm, I've been thinking is that do you guys track your net worth and your investments? That was one yeah. of the things I want to talk about is how, how you do that, right? So accountant, how do you track your net worth? How do you track your investment portfolio? Uh, well, my investment spreadsheets. Spreadsheet. Okay, yeah. but how like do you do this every morning? Do you get up and... Type in the prices from the ticker that you. Not every morning, but far more often than I should. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you do? I probably every morning when I sign on to my brokerage accounts, I, I. Oh, you sign on every morning, sign into your brokerage accounts every morning. Yep. You're not the poster child for this discussion. No, (laughs) no, I'm not. What do you do in there? Well, because I have that. I have a play portion of my portfolio that is a very small portion of my portfolio where I'm messing around trading options because I find it entertaining and fun. And that's why I'm signed in. I'm not signed in and looking at my, you know, index funds, XAW shares. I don't care where they are. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Right. So you're not, you're not turning on the news. You're, you're not going to Yahoo Finance or whatever and scanning some articles and then having to go check your portfolio. And you're at the point where your investor psychology is good. You've learned that the market movements are just noise in the short term because you're invested for the long term. Yes. And if anything were to ever really blow up one day, I'd be screwed because I've almost forced myself to get really excited when stuff's down. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, it's good. Red, when we see red, like, can I find any extra money to throw at the market right now? Right. And so I'm constantly looking like if it's a really bad day and everyone's panicking, I actually like, hey, could I rob my checking account of 500 bucks to the market right now? <laughs> so well, do you think that's uh, that's a bad habit? I I don't think so. Yeah. it's It's hard to tell, right? I think we should identify that as not as market timing, but as market opportunity. And it's just a way of I've tr- I'm trying to train myself to look at it from a different perspective because I used to freak out when stuff was down, and I'm trying to train myself to be like, oh, stuff's down, right? right. Times, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and that takes time, right? Because same thing. We're most of us are probably okay looking at that and seeing a paper loss, but. If you have to actualize and make that a real loss, then that's a whole nother story too. I, I want to bring something up about that in a little bit. But economists, what do you do as far as tracking and looking at your net worth and investments? I uh, basically I look whenever I add money, so okay. twice a month or ad and ad and ad hoc from there. Okay, yeah, that's not very much. So, twice a month, good for you. No. No, that doesn't program. mean I don't like scroll the uh, ticker symbols on my iPhone. This is a total another discussion of the same topic that I want to bring up because I totally got rid of the stock app on my phone. I don't yeah. even open it anymore. I don't do any of my trading, buying, selling, or checking on my phone because 
we all spend too much time on our phones anyway, right? And it's yeah. one of those, like I'm reading Atomic Habits and I'm, I'm, you know, just thinking to myself going, you know, I need to get, be better because, you know, you have the habit of pulling out the phone and checking it and you're probably, you're usually rewarded because somebody liked your Facebook post or whatever, right? But if you pull it out and you're checking your investment portfolio, a lot of times it may be positive reinforcement, but when you get the negative reinforcement there, then it's like, oh, that really hurts. And then it's, it's like a negative reinforcing habit to keep going in there and checking it. And it's too available. Get rid of it. Delete those apps on your phone. If you're having trouble staying the course and following your investment plan that you spent a lot of time figuring out that was right for you in the first place. Yeah. Right. And the more you listen to that noise and the more you check, I mean, maybe stocks are down 5% and you're looking at it on a weekly view that you just lost 5%. Mm-hmm. But if you were looking at it on a quarterly view, you're actually up 3% on the quarter. But because right. you check so frequently, all of a sudden, it seems like you've lost a whole bunch of money, but you're actually ahead of where you were two months ago anyway. So who cares? Mm-hmm. I think this is a really, really difficult thing for people that are new to the journey because they don't have a long time frame yet. So if they've been investing for six months, they're because of the short time frame, it looks like those swings are much more volatile, much more up and down. But it's like anything that that's going to smooth out the longer your time frame is, right? So this is why I think what this sort of all spawned this discussion for me is that because there's always new people joining the FI sort of journey and and le- wanting to learn more about investing and the rest of it, it's that hard struggle through the first year or more to not react too much when you see some volatility, right? Some short-term noise. That's kind of where I feel like we need to be talking about. So uh, how often do you uh, check your net worth? Daily. Daily? <laughs> what, what time? <laughs> it's Okay. So this is the other thing that I was going to ask you guys. Uh, accountant, you said spreadsheet. Economist, what do you use? The spreadsheet. Spreadsheet as well. So you guys do manual entry. Okay. I've been using Wealthica for a couple years now. That's good. I'm glad you don't use a spreadsheet. <laughs> you, do you want to get the spreadsheet chirp out of the way now? I would love just to. Did. Did, oh. No, did you, did you hear what happened this week? <laughs> no. He, he asked me an opinion on a spreadsheet. So uh-huh. I send him, I fix his spreadsheet. I make yeah. everything fine. I calculate the rate of return. I give it back to him. Yeah. He emails it out to a bunch of people and he's changed it and it's now wrong. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, let's leave the spreadsheets to the professionals <laughs> and let Mr. Mechanic use just trust me when I give you one. Yeah, we had a bit of a conversation after that. And I said, okay, yes, you're right. I'm wrong. Uh, don't question me when I help you fix your brakes. And I won't question you when you help me fix the spreadsheet. I've never yeah. questioned you when you've helped me fix brakes. <laughs> yeah. So fair, fair is fair, fair play. I completely admit <laughs> fault there. And it was such a, it was, I always felt such an idiot because then I had to re email the people as well and right. be like, oh, yeah, I just naturally screwed this up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so back to tracking uh, Wealthica. I really like it because it aggregates my accounts and because everybody knows that I've got the like most complicated portfolio structure ever and I suck at spreadsheeting. <laughs> and the, yeah. like, I, I, I do spreadsheet certain things, but being able to aggregate everything together and have a snapshot of it is really nice. And because it's so simple from that point of view in, in sort of the morning or, or my computer time at the beginning of the day when I'm reviewing emails and everything. It's just, it's a, it's a couple clicks and a password. Boom. I'm in there. 
And it's more for me, it's out of curiosity. I don't look any deeper to what holdings are doing anything in particular. It's just kind of like, is it up or is it down? And and I don't really care any more than that, other than just like the longer term, the trend is has always gone up eventually type thing, right? And it doesn't track very well either because it's tracking the money that I'm putting into it. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, that's an important point too. If you're contributing all the time, it's hard to kind of see what your actual performance is. And this is the one of the articles I sent you guys, right? Mark Seed wrote is stop trying to benchmark your portfolio all the time. So that's, I actually don't benchmark my net worth in terms of by normalizing it. I include contributions because it's pretty easy to then create a pretty steady stream of almost every month, your net worth is going up. Yep. It's just everything you've put in. It's simple. It's easy. There it is. Yeah. Isn't that the more important number or trend anyhow? Yeah. Right? All right. But you can get too wrapped up in net worth. True. Sure. And also, here, this begs the question, doesn't apply to you, economist, but for you, account, do you include your primary residence in there? Yep. Okay. So how often do you calculate the appreciation of your property into it? Annually or more frequently? Anytime I refinance. (laughs) (laughs) Because you have an appraisal to work with. Exactly. Yeah. But okay. So I think there's a flaw in there, right? Because we've seen, we talked about in our last episode or a couple episodes ago, how much the housing market has increased in a lot of areas. So if you're recalculating that frequently, you're going, hey, guys, we went from 400K net worth to 600K net worth, but you don't have any more money. Yep. So if you're just looking at that going, oh, I'm that much closer to FI. It's like, nothing changed. (laughs) Nothing changed at all. That's why I think it's also important to track cash flows. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So that is actually why I sign in every day is because part of my, it's all one big spreadsheet, but I have a budget for every month and I track against how I've done for my budget. And so my budget is all of my cash outflows, but then I also track all my cash inflows to make sure that I'm cash flow positive every month. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are like spreadsheet phobic, right? Hey, no, nobody says you have to do this. <laughs> we're just huge money nerds. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's something you should do, but we're talking about things that you shouldn't do. I think for me is if you're tracking your net worth, that's fine. But be cognizant of if you own property and you're using numbers or you know assessments or market numbers, be very careful with that, that you're not skewing the picture and thinking that you're doing way, way, way better than you are, right? Why, uh, why do you include uh, your principal residence in your net worth? It's a line item. Mr. Count? Uh, why do I? Because yeah. A, I know I don't ever plan on it, but I could sell it. And B, my principal residence generates me income. Mm-hmm. So that's why. Right. And you just do it, Mr. Mechanic, because somebody said it was part of your net worth? <laughs> it's I so the way I do it is because the way Wealthica is structured is I I just add it in there and I just do it once a year on the assessed value that I pay my property taxes on. But and why I, does it influence any of your decisions? It doesn't influence anything. It just because I track the mortgage payments in there too. So mm-hmm. I have I for okay net worth super simple right? It's your assets minus your liabilities. That's what you're at. So yeah. because I put my liabilities in there as well. 
I could totally just remove those and just create a liquid net worth. Yeah. But for me, because I'm using that software, I just run it all together. Whereas if I was just wanting to know how my savings and investments were going, then I would create just a liquid net worth because that's going to give you a better idea of your longer term trend. Account? Mm -hmm. Yes? No? Yeah. It all just depends how you want to do it. Or a yeah. cash flow. Uh, cash flow is... What, what yeah. would you call that? Statement of cash flows? Income sure. statement? Yeah. Statement of cash flows. Yeah. That's the technical accounting term? No. Well, it's kind of an income statement. <laughs> if you want to call it a personal income statement, sure. All right. So net worth, if it's an issue for you that it's fluctuating with market movements, if you're seeing it up and down, up and down, check it twice a month like The Economist or... You know, do it every few months. And and I see a lot of varying opinions on this online. So you got to find what works for you, right? Yes. What you're comfortable with, what doesn't yep. affect your psychology to continue moving forward in the in the right direction with contributions and, and investing, right? In your plan that you've already devised. Yes. And I think the other one that goes along with that that you shouldn't be doing is what you brought up about benchmarking. Right. Let's talk a little bit about that. If you're tracking all the time and your portfolio did 5% and you're upset because the S&P did 8, well, just because the S&P did 8 doesn't mean that the S&P matches the risk profile of your life. Right. So you don't, your goal is not to miss, make some arbitrary number that some arbitrary thing has done for rate of return. Your goal is to make the returns that you need to get to your goals. So stop comparing yourself about against a bunch of other people and a bunch of other stuff. Like, Sure, you can go on Twitter and you can see the guy who made 400% returns doing something really stupid and risky last month. There's one of those stories every month. Don't listen to it. Stop paying attention. Those are on TikTok, aren't they? Not Twitter. I, some, <laughs> I think they're some on internet both. thing. Yeah. Okay, so... Let's just talk a little bit about this um, benchmarking and things like that. So what is benchmarking? Good question. Tell the people what benchmarking is. No, you got to answer your own questions. You know no, how this no, works. Tell the people what benchmarking is. <laughs> oh, it's, uh, okay. Is this, are you talking to me? The people want to know. The people want to know. Okay. Well, I'll take a stab of it because I know I'll be corrected if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the comedy comes in. <laughs> that is the best part. <laughs> you get, you get the, yeah, anyway. Okay. So benchmarking is, let's just use an example. Uh, you said S&P accountant, so let's just use SMB. The SMP, the 500 companies. Tell the that, people. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I'm getting there. <laughs> the, five, the 500 companies in the S&P in a one-year time frame are going to have X return. Let's call it 7%. Standard & Poor is the S&P. S&P, Standard & Poor 500. It's a stock listing. You're really trying to... Break, break out some basics here, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> if you want to answer your own question, go ahead. That No, that wasn't part of the question I wanted to answer. I'm just filling in the, the gaps you're leaving. Wait till I'm done. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so the annual return for the S&P was 7%. Your portfolio probably isn't 100% S&P. So if you look at your annual return... And maybe break it down to your VFV that you hold in Canada, which is the S&P 500. Maybe that doesn't match exactly the returns, right? That is, you're trying to benchmark the, the returns that were there. That's the benchmark that you're calculating yours above or below against. Yes. Am I close enough for an answer for you guys? Yes. I will add to that a lot of fund managers will have a 
benchmark that they are trying to beat, whether it be the S&P, whether it be the MSCI emerging markets, whatever. And that's where you hear you can't beat the market. Mm -hmm. It's not talking specifically about the total world market or the S&P or whatever. It's talking about fund managers who have the benchmark of what they're trying to beat. They very rarely beat the benchmark of what they're trying to beat. Right. Whether it be the S&P or emerging markets or foreign bond indices or whatever it is that they're dealing with. Yeah. Here lies the problem, right? We've got globally diversified portfolios with index funds. Mm-hmm. And we may have some fun money in there with dividend stocks, whatever your little satellites are that you're, you know, if you're the economist, you're taking flyers at, uh, at penny stocks and or whatever they may be. But it's a lot of real work. estate, real estate. Yeah. I, I, let's just stick to the market because otherwise, well, yeah, you can get traded. But okay. if you're just looking at your stock market portfolio and trying to benchmark it against what, and, and then question yourself, why didn't I get what the index has made, right? Stop, like the accountant said that, it's like, stop worrying about that. If, you, if you've chosen the ETF or the funds you're in appropriately for your risk level and for your desired sort of long-term outcome, let it be what it is. It's, it's just it, the market is the market, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's a lot of people will say, oh, well, I should have had all my money in the S&P because last year the S&P did 20%, but my own portfolio only did 10 yeah. But then the next year, the S&P is down 10% and other parts of their portfolio have managed to keep them to where they made 2% on the year. Yeah, And that's why you don't benchmark because you can always go cherry pick the thing that did best last year. Right. And Absolutely. it's not going to be the thing that does the best next year. So I don't benchmark to either of you guys? No. No. Not at all. Yeah. No. Couldn't I, care less. Yeah. Do, you, do you guys know what your portfolio returned? Last year? I don't. I don't even... I know what my portfolio increased by percentage-wise, but I don't break out between returns and what I put into it. Yeah, me neither. It's it's too much work. Honestly, it it's yeah. too much work. Like I'd have to go in and f- remove... Like the account said, I'd have to remove every contribution I made all year. Yeah. Right? And then I'd have to know basically the adjusted cost base of everything that I bought along the way. When and you bought it. When, when I bought it. Yeah. yeah like... And I, who cares? Yeah, exactly. exactly. Did, you, did you trend in the right direction? Are you reaching your goals? Mm-hmm. That's right. Okay, then I don't care. And it comes back to things we've talked about before is if you have spent the time to create the proper investment plan for yourself and you're, like you said, account, what you want to accomplish, then it doesn't, like, that's the part that doesn't matter. Stop trying to figure out what your returns were. They're going to be what they're going to be year over year, as long as okay. you're trending the right way. So here's a question. You said VFV was the Vanguard S and P index fund, correct? The Canadian listed, yeah. Okay. Do you ever go to the VFV and make sure it's getting what the benchmark? No. Nope. No, me neither. Maybe should. I don't know. Yeah, it's all backwards looking. I'm just saying, are they missing out? And they probably aren't because they're such a big company, right? I see what you're saying. So where's the tracking error? Right. What really exactly. what you're saying is like, yeah. are you always, is it always underperforming by 0.25% or 0.1% or whatever? Yeah. Sure. Well, maybe when you're picking your investments at the beginning, you may yeah. want to pay attention to that and say, okay, the tracking error of this ETF is I'm going to, it's going to underperform slightly. 
But I think we kind of have to accept that with all of our, because we're, we're buying a product that somebody exactly. else made that we are paying for with our MERs. Yeah. And it can't move fast enough to react exactly to the market, right? Right. But if it was doing a poor job, it wouldn't, nobody be in it. Exactly. Right. Yep. So it's not something to worry about at night, I wouldn't think. No, exactly. And this is, this is coming back to these things that I, I see and I read and I follow along with people that are, they ask that question is say, oh, my portfolio returned X last year. Is that good? Or is, <laughs> is that bad? And it's yeah. like, well, you, it's your portfolio. You've got to crunch what you're invested in and figure that out for yourself. Because if I call the accountant and say, hey, I got 5% last year, is that good or bad? Our, our investments are totally different, even though we hold a very similar type portfolio. Are our investments that much different? Or do we talk to each other too much and we have fairly similar investment <laughs> portfolios? I think we have quite a few differences. What are we? Oh, yeah. You've got a lot of weird stuff. Yeah, <laughs> of course, because you have one of everything. As soon as we come back from the beer fridge, I want to talk just about all these weird things. And it comes back to the beginning where I said we were talking about loss aversion. So coming up okay. in two minutes, less than that, 15 seconds. Beer fridge closing is like super quick. So guys, I didn't even get up and go to the fridge. I just got a new link because Joel sent us these giant bombers of the double and I might be stirring a yeah. bit already with the 6% stuff. It's pretty good. This is a very tasty beer. I like this. I love it. I love it when a listener, well, A, I love it when a listener buys us a beer. Thank you again for that. But I love it when they choose something that's out of our wheelhouse because you know, I'll just go to the store and buy an IPA. Hazy, probably. Yeah, like a yeah. hazy pale. I'm like, oh, we got a visit. So I went, I went in there today because I was doing beer tube stuff today. I'm like, oh, there's a hazy pale I didn't, haven't tried. So I buy one can of it. Now I might share a bit with you guys. But all right, back to the show here, gentlemen. Loss aversion. I have beer yeah. loss aversion. That's definitely for sure. Well, that's natural. <laughs> okay. Don't we all? Don't we suffer a beer loss every night? <laughs> Not wrong. Okay, but the experience was worth yeah. the loss. Okay, right. No one. The angle I wanted to take with this is uh, getting a little bit away from the index ETF investing. There's a lot of listeners, us ourselves included, that hold individual companies, individual stocks. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I will be the first to admit that I am 100% guilty of this. That I have watched my holdings go from ten dollars to two dollars. And I haven't sold. And I still haven't sold. Why is that? What is, is that, that loss aversion? Absolutely you, it is. Because you don't want to actually lock in the loss. Yeah. It's not a loss until you sell. Yeah. You, this is not a company that you still think is good. Okay. Well, that's that's the part of this whole discussion, right? Is right. now let's just ex- let's just examine what you said there, economist. If I still think the company is good. You should buy more, right? (laughs) (laughs) Slippery slope, because I have been caught averaging down and it's rarely worked out for me. But okay, so my stock's gone from $10 down to $2. I don't want to sell it at $2 because the pain of realizing that loss is way too much. I'm willing to take a lot of risk that it might come back to 10 because if you think about it, it's like what we talked about before is if I sold that for the $2, I'd have 
$2,000. Let's just call it a round number, right? But would I reinvest that $2,000 into that stock to go to 10? Well, no, no chance. But the scenario is exactly the same. Yeah. It's interesting to think that way because I'm guilty of that loss aversion myself, even though I should know, I should know better, right? I mean, in a different scenario, your answer might have been yes, I wouldn't invest another 2000. Well, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're not experiencing loss aversion, you're experiencing good market uh, Uh, opportunity. But you're taking on more risk. Yeah. You take on risk anytime you buy any stock. Well, no, totally. Yeah. I'm not disagreeing with that at all. But well, and that's where we're talking individual stocks are a lot different than an index fund. Yeah. You're not going to be in the situation where your index fund drop. Well, if it drops 30%, you're not going to sell it and crystallize, realize that loss because you don't want to get to buy so much more of it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But an individual stock, especially smaller cap ones, and, and I've got, Accountant, you can probably agree with me on this. I'm looking for some agreement here that we used to have or we'd look for high-yielding, small to mid-cap stocks, and then all of a sudden, they get knocked back 50%, and you refuse to sell them because you don't want to realize that loss. You think they're going to come back, but... Oh, I've been there. Yeah, right? The thing to understand, too, is if I sold that for the $2 for $2,000, then I can reinvest that $2,000 smartly into an index fund. But you know, I could redeploy that capital with a more reasonable expectation of returns. Well, and I think when you're at that level, then what you need to do is have the fundamentals of the business changed. Totally. Has it changed on why you made that initial investment? Mm-hmm. What has drastically changed? What's materially different than it was to make that decision to sell? Totally. That's that's actually my golden rule of how I try to get away with not selling when things are down and how I've programmed myself is if you get a big drop in the market and I look at my holdings, okay, let's say the S&P 500 is down 40%. What has materially changed? <laughs> nothing. Probably, not, probably nothing. Oh, there was yeah. a global pandemic. Okay. Well, do I think that's a long-term thing? Do I think that's going to fundamentally destroy those 500 businesses in the S&P? No, I don't. So if my opinion hasn't changed, why would I sell? Mm-hmm. Excellent point. Yeah. Now, I'll take that step into my my own scenario where some of the companies that I continue to hold at with 60% losses, they have fundamentally changed. So right. why am I still holding? For the worse. For the worse. Right. Yes. So Get why out. am I? Yeah. Well, okay. But the, I have loss aversion. Yeah, but get out. You have lots of things you want to buy. Just do it. Be like the- Nike. <laughs> Be like Nike? Just do it. <laughs> okay, I get you. I thought there was some like story about Nike stock that I was missing. No, no. No no story about Nike stock or the god Nike. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Off track. <laughs> <laughs> I think what the important sort of takeaway from this is for myself as well. And and it's it's good to sort of talk about this, especially with you guys. And you know, we have a great community of FI investors and everything and and have that discussion and and find the resources that help you understand your behavioral psychology around money. And uh, economist, you haven't read it yet. Accountant, you're reading it. I pass it on to you, the psychology of money book. Yes. Yeah. What do you what do you think so far? How far into it are you? 
Uh, well, I've been reading the IPA brewing book, so <laughs> it, it hasn't been opened yet. Oh, you're, you're really going to like it. You're really going to like it. And it, it helped me a lot. And I think so a, a few books recently, right? Um, we read Thinking in Bets. Yeah, we didn't give it. You to still you. haven't given that to me. Yeah, you're a natural. You could write half that book. <laughs> the other one is the Psychology of Money, which I finished. You guys haven't yet, and I'm now reading Atomic Habits, and they all kind of dovetail together really nicely because it's really helped me get better at understanding my behavior and psychology around investing. Because we all we all think we're better than we are. Yeah, and we all have our own biases and reading books like that kind of make you examine yourself and do a little, as Mark says, navel gazing and go, Hmm, yeah, I'm not as good at this whole investor psychology as I thought I was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of the things that people do, if you realize it's harmful or it could be harmful, don't, don't do it. Don't look <laughs> at stuff. Don't update everything. Don't, if you're somebody that could log on to an account and you know yourself well, and you know, you'd panic, Maybe you're somebody who needs to have their money with somebody else where there's another gatekeeper and it would be like, you can't just go hit a sell button in a panic. Yeah. And I know people like that. They say, I absolutely know myself. If there was a 25% drop in my portfolio, I'd panic and I'd sell. So I have a financial advisor and yep. we've created a financial plan and they know that they're not supposed to listen to me when times are bad. We've yep. written out a financial plan and they read it to me if I call them in a panic. Yep. Right. Great. Do that. I totally agree with you because even though that we spend a lot of time promoting DIY investing, it doesn't mean it's for everybody. No. If, if, if psychologically the hurt is too much to know that your portfolio is down several percent with just noise, if that, because that, it physically hurts to see that, right? And if that's you, that's totally okay. But like the account said, is maybe you do need to have that gatekeeper, maybe, or you know, whatever it is to get past that. You read books, you gain confidence, you know, talk about money so that you can and build that up. But you're right; it's your journey. Do what is good, and if it's really hurtful and you feel that pain, it's not worth it, right? It's you, you want to. This is supposed to be a good thing, a happy journey, a long-term growth thing, right? And that's I think people need to really, especially if you haven't been through a significant downturn, write out a plan and tell yourself that no matter what happens, the first significant downturn you face, you won't do anything. And not you won't do anything for a week, you won't do anything for a year. So here's a question for you guys. Have we faced a significant downturn? Did we face one in March of 2020? Yep. Yeah. It, it, was, a, it, was, a, it was a big enough percentage. I mean, it wasn't long it wasn't a long time period before everything bounced right back, but you saw the drops lost day after day, down 7% today, down 7% tomorrow, down 8% the next day. I mean, you were seeing a large portion of your portfolio ripped apart. Yeah. So lots of people jumped out. Right. So examine that, I guess, is a good idea. Examine how you behave during that time. Yeah. Well, there we've got listeners that didn't even go through that yet. Right. So, yeah. Sure. The first 4% drop, if you've only been investing for five months, the first 4% drop, because you don't have that long time frame we talked about, it's your first red that you've seen. Your portfolio is down a few percent and you're going like, uh-oh, am I confident to keep going forward with this? And part of that psychology problem too is that 
within experience, you see the beginning, like the little dip, and then the expectation is that it's going to continue. Yeah. Right. It's like, oh my goodness, yeah. this this is just the start. Right. You know? And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But like the accountant said is, well, it's on sale that day. So I may as well throw some more money at it. This is especially true when your time horizon is long. Yes. yes. Right. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, it's a whole different story when you're at the point and you're drawing down and you need that money. But if you have yeah. a long ta- time horizon, I mean, what did people say the best? I forget what the quote was, but they said, the best decision I ever made was we were down and I bought and I thought I was an idiot. And then we were down the next day and I bought and I thought I was an idiot. And just around the point where I thought I couldn't get any stupider <laughs> and I had dumped all of my money in, things started going the other way. And it turned out I was a genius. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, definitely. And I don't think we should get too far into that because, hey, March 2020 last year, I didn't panic. Nothing changed. My buy still happened, but I didn't go scrounging in the uh, couches for every penny I had to c- throw in the markets. Cause I was like, Oh, it's like everybody, right. It's like, this is a black swan. We've never seen this. I'm like, I think I'll stay the course, but I'm not necessarily going to go pull hundred K leverage and throw it in there. And I know yes. some people did and good for them. It worked out. Right. But yeah, that's thinking in bets. That's loss aversion. It's a lot of things. That- <laughs> oh, the economist must have levered up so hard last March. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, there we go. That's great, right? Like, but you got to be able to ride out your decisions too, good or bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I economist, how do you handle loss aversion? Mm, I don't know that I am folly to it. (laughs) I told you he's a robot. Yeah. (laughs) Correct. (laughs) So, when you see a a holding that is down. You just sell and move on. You don't. You don't look at the two. Well, I've never sides. sold, so there is that. Okay. Well, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Have you not sold because you don't want to take the loss? I, no, I've not sold because I hadn't done enough research to sell. Okay. Um, That's which open-ended. is laziness, I guess. Which is why I try and stick more to the index funds. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Did I, I, I had a client a long time ago, and I think I was talking about this with Bob from Twalkin on, uh, on Twitter a little while ago, but this little old lady and she had this portfolio and this was seven or eight years ago and her portfolio, she's probably dead. She was 95 at the time. So <laughs> well, she's 102. Good for her. <laughs> uh, she had this portfolio that paid her about, well, just. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> yeah, happy birthday. <laughs> Just her TD and Royal Bank stock paid her about 250K a year in dividends. It's a good spot. Good spot. And her whole, Stop listing. her whole philosophy for the portfolio was, I'm just going to never sell. I might not buy more of something if it turns out to have been stupid, but I don't want to be dumb and sell something that I wanted to keep. So she spent... The entire period of the 70s, just loading up on bank stocks, other blue chip Canadian stocks, and just never sold. And she had things in her portfolio that were like 10 bucks that she had put 20 grand into. But then she had this wonderful other part of her portfolio where she had like $9 million from an original cost base of like 100 grand because it was just adamantly will not sell anything. Yeah. Yeah. Seems to have worked. (laughs) 
Well, I hope I get to tell that story when I'm 95. I hope I'm 95. We are not making it to 95. (laughs) Have you met us? Yeah, it's funny, like all the Monte Carlo simulations and everything were like, you need to make sure you plan out for 40 years of retirement. I'm like, yeah, probably not so much. (laughs) (laughs) Nah, I'm good. (laughs) Well, I think really what occurred to me and why I kind of want to talk about this is because there's a lot of good things that come from tracking your expenses and tracking your savings and, and knowing what you're invested in and all of that. But you can negatively impact yourself and you can negatively, you can create, like you can hurt your behaviors, hurt your good behaviors by spending too much time benchmarking your portfolio and and thinking that you're not doing enough. And you know what that leads to is making changes when what your original plan is, is perfectly fine. Right. So is, is that, does this all boil down to an age old lesson of too much of a good thing is bad? Perhaps it's great. It's great to track your expenses and it's great to have a plan. But yep. if you do it too much and you adjust your plan every day, yeah. Well, now you're tinkering. Now you're you're doing the exact opposite of what you were supposed to be doing. I, I think if it affects your behavior and it affects you emotionally, then it's a bad thing. Yeah, pivoting your portfolio and making adjustments that are rational and are going to move you in the right direction is one. Wait, thing. we're supposed to be rational. Well. <laughs> That's the goal of an investor, but none of us are because we all have our own behavioral uh, biases, right? You just read a book, didn't you? <laughs> you know, it's funny. It sound I, like he did, I'm doesn't terrible. it? It's yeah. good. It was such a good book. I yeah. highly recommend people read it. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm not supposed to have transferred my entire portfolio into Tontines? You know Tontines! what? Ah, you that, I'm, not, I'm not playing this game. Joel would be disappointed. Oh, good job, guys. Joel would be disappointed if I slammed a beautiful Belgian double from Red Collar Brewing Company in Kamloops. I don't think so. Joel seems like the type of guy who'd want you to play yeah, by Yeah, Joel's the rules. for sure on board. Yeah. In fact, he's probably going to chirp you for not having done this. That's good. <laughs> that That's probably the most interaction we get off our episodes. So, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we got a bunch of people... We might have to announce the Steamworks draw in this episode. Well, uh, no, because we haven't made it yet. Why? Well, no, but by the time we make it, this will be the episode that's getting released to oh, be the draw. Gonna, you're going to do a fancy add-on. So I we're going to have to add an add-on at the end of this where cutting out in three seconds, you'll find out who won. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? Uh, something along those lines. A good okay. thing I'm in control of that. The YouTube may be woefully uh, inadequate yeah, when it comes to that. Hey, one more thing before we go. Oh, you guys know who JL Collins is, right? Yes, guy likes indexing. This yeah, he does. The Simple Path to Wealth, another great book that everybody should read. But have you ever listened to his guided stock meditation? That man has the most wonderful voice. I can't even imitate it, but he's got a, so I posted this in our Facebook group because it's perfect because he goes, he's a breathe in, breathe out the usual meditation thing. And then he's like, if you're listening to this, you're invested in index funds and the market has gone down by 10, 20, 30%. It's okay. Breathe in, <laughs> breathe out. It's great. It's entertaining to listen to. And so I had yeah, to post it's good. up there because a 3 or 4% drop is nothing. It's a buy day. The market always hitting all-time high. What's the what's the stat? Come on, help me out here. The market is hitting all-time highs 60% of the time or something. Somewhere around 70% that. of the time. It's like it's way higher than it's ever 
getting lower. So yeah. believe in that, believe in your plan, keep moving forwards. Don't get caught up in the noise, do some research, read some books, understand your investor behavior and psychology so that you're confident you can move forward. That's my wrap. What do you guys think? Last words? The foregoing was for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> there we go. Okay, as we mentioned, we do need to draw the Steamworks prize pack this episode. And the winner, drumroll please, is Mitch. Congratulations, Mitch. You have won yourself a Steamworks hoodie, a few cans of beers, and we'll get in touch with you and figure out how to get that moving towards you. So thanks, all of you, for making comments. And congrats again to Mitch. Now for the last few words of this episode. Oh, he's finally doing it. Wow, he's so slow, but he's getting it done. <laughs> The money mechanic just he finished teamed. his beer. Oh, <laughs> about time. Oh, that was work, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like it. The worst part is I finished the glass and now the wife's gonna ask for a sip and I'm gonna have to There was a tontine. <laughs> there was, was a tontine, <laughs> it's not your fault. <laughs> I don't know if that suffices as an excuse in this house. <laughs> <laughs> That's not our problem. No. All right. Well, thanks for listening. You can find us on all the regular channels. And if you're on YouTube, like and subscribe. And if you're listening on all the podcast platforms, shoot us a comment or a like. We do appreciate that. We'll catch you next time on the FA Garage. Good night. Until next time. You guys always do that at the same time. Yes. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>